right. Hello once again out there to all of you, our listeners out there in the Cotton Belt in Points Unknown from California to the Carolinas. We welcome you back to this Cotton Companion podcast. Uh, podcast. Podcast. That one too. We are back with this, the 24th episode of the world famous Cotton Companion podcast. I am Beck Barnes, editor and publisher here at Cotton Grower Magazine, and I'm here with my partner in crime, Cotton Grower Senior Editor, Mr. Jim Stebman. Hello, Jim. Beck, hello, and hello to everybody out uh, out listening to us. We are coming at you live from our office here on the outskirts of Memphis, Tennessee. Today is Thursday, November 10th, and man, there's just not any news to report to you all this week, right? I mean, it's It just... has just been slow, <laughs> maybe no. for the last couple of weeks, too. <laughs> No, quite the opposite. Um, this week has been a wild one. Uh, since we last came to you guys, you know, it's it's been quite an eventful little fall season here. The Cubs have won the World Series. Two days ago, Mr. Donald J. Trump was elected president-elect of the United States. And uh, most recently, EPA, just yesterday, I believe, uh, registered... Monsanto's dicamba, for, dicamba formulation, Extendamax with Vapor Grip technology, something that we have been waiting on for, for a, a hot minute here out here in the Cotton Belt. So uh, that last one we will certainly dive deeper into uh, as we get later on into our podcast. I hate to disappoint all of you uh, diehard politicos out there. We are not going to dissect the presidential election this week. You wouldn't want to hear Gemini's opinions on all that stuff, um, but we are going to be talking cotton production, so uh, we want you to hang with us through that. Before we go to our first break, I want to take a quick opportunity to remind y'all to take our acreage survey. We um, each year throw out the very first uh, acreage projection of the coming cotton planting season, and we do that on the back of our survey that we conduct during these fall and early winter months with you guys, our readerships. Nobody knows better uh, how much cotton is going to be planted in the belt next year than those of you who are actually doing the planting. So we reach out to each of you. It's a very simple six-question survey. And the biggest question we ask you is, how many acres are going to be planted in cotton in your state? Now, this is important. Not on your farm, but in your state in 2017. Uh, and we rely on you guys predominantly. We're also going to reach out to the extension community and uh, others in the cotton associations who have educated guesses on this thing. Anyhow, it all comes together in our January issue when we put out our, our acreage projection that kind of sets a baseline for what it really gives us an idea of the health of the industry leading into the next season. So enough of my babbling about it. Let me tell you where to go where you can take this short, quick six-question survey uh, if you have a spare five That's, that's easy for you to say right yeah, now. Yeah, right. Quick yeah. six. Yeah, I got it. So anyhow, <laughs> if you'll just go to www.surveymonkey.com forward slash r forward slash cotton 2017. I'll give it to you again, www.surveymonkey.com forward slash r forward slash cotton2017. Go there, do us a favor, take three minutes out of your day, answer those six questions, you ought to feel better about yourself. Obviously, the more input we have, the more accurate our projections will be. 
Absolutely. So as always, we thank you all for your participation on that. So now that's out of the way, let me tell you, we got a great show lined up for you today. We are going to start like we always do with Jim leading us in a discussion of the latest breaking cotton headlines. So we're going to take a quick break right now. Hang with us and we will be right back. Cotton Grower Magazine has the honor of saluting exceptional sacrifice and contribution to the cotton industry through our annual Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. Since 1970, Cotton Grower has handed out this distinguished honor to one individual who demonstrates tireless dedication to the cotton industry through involvement, innovation, and leadership in those issues that have a large impact on U.S. cotton as a whole. Achievement Award winners are chosen after extensive research and thoughtful input from around the industry. Cotton Grower offers sincere gratitude to Case IH and to Delta Pine for sponsoring the Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. In joining the effort to recognize and honor industry leaders, these companies demonstrate their devotion to the cotton industry and their desire to see growers succeed. Welcome back to the Cotton Companion, uh, the 24th episode, as Beck mentioned earlier. And we're going to take a quick look through some of the, uh, the news items that have occurred in the industry over the last few weeks uh, since last we visited with you. And we're going to start, just like we always do, with a look at, at USDA's crop progress report. Now that we've moved into the short rows of the season and cotton harvest is, uh, is certainly either complete or well underway in all parts of, of the cotton belt, uh, the only thing that USDA is really sharing with us uh, at this point on a weekly basis is the cotton harvested numbers. Uh, because quite honestly, at this point, crop condition doesn't matter. And if you're harvesting, obviously, your bowls are open. So uh, for, the, uh, for the week ending November 6th, uh, they were, USDA says 56% of the uh, U.S. crop all across the cotton belt had been harvested. That's, that's a 10% jump in, from the week before. Uh, when you look at it on a state-by-state -state basis, uh, it's safe to say that the Mid-South states are pretty much all but complete at this point. Uh, but there were some significant jumps in the past week in terms of harvested acres. Uh, California took a 24% jump. Uh, both South Carolina and Virginia jumped 20%. And uh, the folks in North Carolina uh, hopefully that uh, were able to salvage as much cotton as they could following the uh, the flooding from Hurricane Matthew, uh, they made a 19% jump. So uh, things are, are progressing, and when we come back uh, to visit with you again next time, I suspect we will be uh, looking at harvesting numbers somewhere up in the 80 90% range. I bet so. That number's going up quick. It is moving quick. and uh, our, our, our takes are so hot <laughs> on the podcast here, we... There's a car alarm going on outside our a car alarm going off outside our window. Hopefully, there's no police action and we are in no danger of being <laughs> raided. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, y'all aren't being distracted. Yeah, by if, that. You, if you hear a loud crashing noise, someone has just smashed in <laughs> to uh, yeah. to interrupt us. That's right. But uh, but regardless of that, we shall forge ahead. Uh, this week, also USDA uh, released its November World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates report, or as we call it here in the studio, the lovely WASD the report. WASD, yeah. Uh, and, and just taking a quick look at some of the summary statements they made for cotton this week. Uh, in the past month, they are, are saying that U.S. cotton estimates include slightly higher production and ending stocks, uh, basically because a larger Texas crop 
uh, has been partially offset by decreases in the southeast. Uh, domestic mill use and exports are unchanged. U.S. ending stocks now estimated at 4.5 million bales. Uh, forecast range for the marketing year average price received by producers is in the 63 to 71 cent per uh, range per pound with a midpoint of 67 cents. Uh, looking at it from a world perspective, uh, the world cotton estimates for 2016-17 uh, are showing larger production and ending stocks due mainly to a 500,000 bale increase that's projected for India uh, now that they have started their planting season. Uh, world consumption uh, is basically uh, is virtually unchanged uh, with world stocks projected at uh, at 88.3 million bales. So basically in the past month I can't say that there's been a whole lot of, of change in this report. We haven't had a chance to to sit down and talk to any of our economist friends since this was released yesterday but I will be curious to see what uh, did. It didn't seem to move the market at all today so uh, I guess that's good news. What are we at today? Did you? I did not. It? I have. It's Probably going to check that before I ask the question <laughs> live on our podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it, it has been, I guess, stagnant here. In recent every, days. Everything is still stay, is still staying basically in the sixty-eight to seventy cent range. Yeah, we'll get away. Uh, we'll get his opinion on that here probably tomorrow. So, as I'm sure he will always share an opinion. Yeah, we love you, OA. We do. We do indeed. Uh, the next the next uh, item goes to uh, takes a look at, at sort of the status on some of the the mergers that we've been talking about for the uh, for the last few months uh, and these would be the mergers between uh, DuPont and Dow uh, certainly between Bayer and Monsanto uh, and a news report this week out of St. Louis is saying that uh, US state attorneys general have uh, joined a federal antitrust probe of the merger between DuPont and Dow uh, and a separate group of state attorneys general are expected to join a probe of the Bear Monsanto deal. Uh, none of this really, I think, comes as a great big surprise because these are these are just huge merger, but mega deals uh, that are going to uh, basically going to undergo some tough and some lengthy reviews by by U.S. antitrust enforcers. Uh, right now, according to the report, there are about seven states, including California, that have joined the uh, Dow Dupont the probe of Dow DuPont's merger. Uh, no word yet on how many states are going to join the Bear Monsanto investigation. The states obviously are looking at it from a perspective to, uh, to protect their own agricultural audiences uh, and are concerned that uh, these mergers may raise pesticide and herbicide prices for farmers and, uh, and therefore have less incentive to compete to introduce better and less expensive products. Now, Obviously, the Justice Department is going to have the final say on whether to, uh, uh, on what to do, including possibility of filing a lawsuit to stop a merger. Uh, but they rely on the states to provide information on how these mergers would affect their areas and uh, conduct joint calls to gather data from the companies as well as from critics and supporters of the deal. So uh, I think we, we knew when all of these were first announced that uh, there were some pretty optimistic timelines. On getting things settled, uh, I think Kim China and Syngenta are still, you know, are, we're still hopeful to have something completed by the end of this year. Uh, There's some situations going on with regulatory issues in the European Union that look like that's going to be pushed back 
into 2017. Uh, I really and truly don't anticipate seeing a whole lot of action in terms of the actual finalization of these until mid to late next year. Yeah. So. I know for, for the purposes of the three major cotton seed brands that are caught up in that Bayer Monsanto merger, mm-hmm. right now it's it's full steam ahead, you know, for all three of oh, yeah. them. I mean it's the same, you know, they're this is a, a, a big time of year as far as evaluating and introducing the new seed varieties that Monsanto and Bear will be getting into with their various seed brands. Mm-hmm. I was just down there in, well, where, what little town in Georgia? Oh, Dawson, was Georgia. Dawson, Georgia, yes. Shout out to Dawson. Shout out to Dawson, Georgia. Um, I hope it's cool enough that those gnats are leaving y'all alone at this point. <laughs> but I was down there two weeks ago, or two and a half weeks ago now trying to remember anyhow for Bayer's uh, unveiling of their new you know multi-million dollar seed breeding facility that they're building down there so that you know they can um, introduce seeds you know in large part in that south to that southwest mark southeast market that were bred and brought along and developed right there in the southeast you know tailor making for those guys so you know there's millions of dollars of R&D which Bayer really prides itself on going into a ribbon cutting ceremony in the face of all of this merger talk and there's you know you can say there's uncertainty out there with what's going to happen with all these brands well they're they're forging right ahead you know with their with their mission of bringing along great varieties to the u.s cotton market so it's good to see it's good and, to see and, some and, stability and in a separate separate vein i was also in lubbock texas several weeks ago for uh for several field days including one by with uh with the bear folks uh, out in Idaho, Texas, and it was the last uh, event that was going to be held at the uh, at this the old Idaho facility, old, oh, yeah. uh, laboratory facility, there that uh, had been through uh, ownership of, by several different seed companies over the years, uh, primarily because Bayer had just finished a new breeding facility uh, along the outer loop in Lubbock. Uh, they were actually getting ready. They were in the process of they'd taken a day off for the field day. Uh, a day off from actually moving equipment and moving other items over to the new facility. So uh, much like what you saw in Dawson from a Southeast breeding perspective, uh, there's going to be a brand new Southwest, uh, West Texas breeding facility uh, that quite honestly is probably open at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I would bet so. We got another car alarm going off out Our here. car alarms are back. It doesn't fail. It's quiet as a mouse around this building until we hit record on this podcast <laughs> so we're just like a magnet for noise <laughs> yeah, we are absolutely all right i got one other news item and then we're going to get into uh, a little bit more discussion about uh, about the the hot topics of the day and this one came across my desk several weeks ago and i've just kind of been sitting on it and shaking my head every time i look at it because it really and truly seems like something out of a movie take Think Ocean's Eleven. Think about the that great caper movie where you had a lot of misdirection and uh, and a lot of people involved uh, to actually you know steal the money from a casino. Uh, quite honestly, this one reminded me of that, but certainly not quite on the same scale, and certainly not quite as successful. It comes to us from China, uh, starting with a simple scheme to stuff cotton again, another use for cotton to stuff cotton into air monitoring equipment so that the air being read would be filtered and seem cleaner. 
Now, you know, let's face it, China has a reputation for not so clean air, and they're putting, they're trying to put some regulations in place to monitor air, you know, the, the particulates in air uh, to, uh, to help upgrade the air quality standards in the country. But in, uh, in Xi'an, I guess that's the way you pronounce it, uh, people were doing this uh, to basically get better but false air quality readings. And quite honestly, they got away with it for months until some inspectors finally noticed irregularities in the data. Uh, Which they're false. I was under the impression that they had like actually invented no. a new, okay, no. they were false clean readings. Oh man. No, no. It, it, <laughs> and this is this is where it turned. It goes from Ocean's Eleven to Three Stooges pretty much at this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the, the the plot started when this when this air monitoring station moved uh, back in February, and at the time the station chief used the move to secretly copy the key to the station and a password for the station's computer. Shortly after that, station employees sneaked in multiple times and stuffed cotton into the sensors, which resulted in abnormal data and affected the normal operation of the National Air Quality Automatic Monitoring System. Not only that, but again, think movie plot here. Station employees deleted surveillance camera video in March to ensure inspectors would not see their actions. I see. But the data did them in. So uh, needless to say, uh, the head of the air monitoring station and several members of his, of his staff uh, are now under government detention at this point as, uh, as they try to ex examine the entire scope of the, uh, of the scam. And, and see what they need to do. But, you know, China's sitting there with a lot of excess cotton. So, I, I, you know, they were, I guess, were just looking for a new use, a, a new way to, uh, to kind of move some of it out of the warehouse. But. Gotta find I'm all for that. You know. <laughs> Gotta find something to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the Chinese water gate over there tangentially <laughs> involving our crops. So, We'll keep an eye on it, you know. Oh, yeah, we'll be monitoring that situation the, closely. Uh, Woodward and uh, Bernstein of uh, Cotton over here will be keeping an yeah, eye on, my, on China for you guys. For, for some reason, my gut tells me we will not hear of this again. <laughs> we might not. We might not. We might not. Those are the basic news items. And uh, I guess the other the other gets into... Uh, it's into some of the topics that we have discussed, and as Beck mentioned, we've been waiting for, for, uh, for an extended period of time. I was thinking in about the cotton industry. I was thinking about this yesterday, when I first started hearing about Monsanto's dicamba tolerant cotton, mm -hmm. which we now call Extendflex technology. Um, 2014, maybe? I bet it was 2013 when I started 2013. through their NPE program. Right. And, you know, because we have done some work with Monsanto covering that program um, in the past. And I feel sure I would have heard about at that time from their uh, marketing folks, you know, hey, we got this new technology coming along in these test plots, pre-commercial plots now. So, yeah, it's been... What does that make? Three years. Three years. Three years now. Right at three years since we have been hearing about uh, Extendflex technology, and I remember, you know, the hope was when you first get a whiff of it in 2013, hey, this stuff's you're gonna be able to do it, use it in 2014, and here we are, November 9, mm -hmm. 
So we've been waiting, you know, truly anticipating, hoping that this would come through for the sake of, you know, U.S. cotton growers. There's so many, I'm jumping around to, to a lot of topics that are related to this subject, but for the good, for the truly like good stewardship perspective of the United States cotton industry, it is good to have new chemistry in our market to protect the other chemistries from developing resistance to them. So Right. And again, at, during that same time period, you also have to keep in mind that you had the Enlist technology from Dow running on a separate but parallel path. Uh, you know, the 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 extend extendflex or the extendamax plus vapor guard technology obviously is the low volatility dicamba formulation yeah. for the uh, for the delta pine and other seed companies that are using the uh, the b2xf technologies the enlist is a low volatility uh, new formulation of 24d uh, called enlist duo yeah. that uh, that delivers the same type of weed control on obviously on the uh, on the varieties that contain that trait uh, out of the phytogen brand. Yeah. But I think again going back three years on this, it's almost seemed like nobody was making promises for 2014 on either of these. Yeah. But they were really optimistic about 2015. Yeah. And that became oh, but we're optimistic for you know. Or Q4 2015. Right. Q1 2016. Right. And so so before we go on too many more tangents here, that brings us to our news peg. Today is November 10, mm-hmm. 2016. This EPA registration of Monsanto's formulation of dicamba herbicide, <clears throat> and that alone, just as one brand of dicamba herbicide, Correct. which is Extendamax with, with vapor va- grip. Mm-hmm. Uh, has been approved by EPA for you guys to be able to use on your crops next year. Right. Now, uh, the label does have some some uh, some specific measures attached to it, as, as we kind of expected at this point. Now, again, this is the federal label, and some of this could change on a state-by-state basis as this, because they still have to be approved by, the, uh, by each state that this is uh, EPA has approved this for. Uh, but basically, the restrictions on it, uh, there's no application from aircraft. No surprise. I think that's been discussed from the very beginning. No application when wind speed's over 15 miles an hour. Uh, application only with approved nozzles at specified pressures. That's things we've been talking about and the companies have been talking about uh, in all of their meetings. And the use of buffer zones to protect sensitive areas when wind is blowing toward them. Uh, as far as the Extendamax registration, there is a time limit on the registration. Uh, I mean, I think that's sort of a common practice EPA puts in place with some of these new technologies. Basically allows the agency to either let it expire or make any necessary changes uh, if there are problems or other issues that arise with resistant weeds or with drift. So uh, again, the, this initial registration for Extendamax that came through yesterday is for 34 states, and this is not only for use with, um, you know, with the, the Bogard II Extendflex cotton varieties. It's also for use with the Roundup Ready to Extend soybean uh, varieties as well. But every, out of those 34 states, the cotton belt is represented, you know, extremely well. Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia... Kansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, uh, both Carolinas, 
Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, and Virginia. So uh, is that all of them? That's that all. Of, that's pretty much every all of the cotton states. Yeah. Well, that's good. Oh, New Mexico's in there too. Sorry, New Mexico. Yeah, we don't. Sorry, we apologize. I apologize. My pen missed you. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's that's where we stand with the Extendamax. Now, last week, a week earlier, uh, EPA came came out and announced a public comment period for the label amendment for Enlist Duo, uh, which will allow its use on Enlist Cotton and extend the product use on all labeled Enlist crops, uh, basically adding 19 more states to the existing label. Again, remember, Enlist Duo is already currently labeled for use on Enlist soybeans and Enlist corn in, uh, in 15 different states right now. So, uh, Anyway, the public comment period is active at this point. Uh, it goes through December 1st. We would encourage all to participate. Absolutely. Uh, you can go to the regulations.gov website and find the, uh, the EPA docket number uh, that, that pertains to this, this comment period. Uh, after the comment period closes, obviously, then EPA is going to review all the input, reach a final decision, and that will probably be announced sometime in early 2017. Um, again, similar to, to what we found with the, with the dicamba registration, uh, there's going to be uh, special requirements in place for uh, education, uh, continual surveying and reporting, uh, and the option to, to make changes to the label within a, a five-year period. Uh, this label modification is going to allow use of Enlist Duo on Enlist Cotton and expand the use on Enlist Cotton, Corn, and Soybeans in, uh, in all of these other 19 states. So uh, again, after, after years of waiting and sort of a start, stop, start, stop, uh, and, and quite honestly beginning to believe that, that you know, things just weren't going to happen, uh, here within a seven-day period, we've gotten substantial movement on on these two technologies, and it looks like they will both be in place for growers moving into 2017. I know that the, the folks at Dow have been confident that this winter was going to be the right going to come through at some point uh, before planting season next year. They're very hopeful. So the, that comment period mm -hmm. is open right now, guys. I, I would add, not to beat a dead horse here, even if you don't plan on using uh, Dow's Enlist technology, that technology being out there in the cotton belt protects the technology that you are using, whatever it may be, uh, Liberty, Extend, right. Bolt, whatever, uh, on your own farm. And, and the, other re the other factor in all this, too, is some of these technologies fit certain geographies better than they do uh, in others. So if you're, if you're, if you're growing in the southeast and mid-south, uh, the dicamba technology may may be your your technology of choice as you move out into texas and the high plains and move into kansas and oklahoma where there's a lot of wheat the enlist technology may have a much better fit so uh, again it behooves the whole industry for people to uh, to go in and make comments uh, while we have the opportunity to do so uh, just for because we're all facing the same problems in terms of, of weed resistance and the need for some new tools out there to, to manage the, uh, the resistance issue. That is correct. Was that it for our 
that's it. All of our news, six news items this week. As, as we said, it's been a busy week. Uh, so we are happy to cover it all here at the Cotton Companion Podcast. Now, for the moment, we want to take a quick break, wrap things up there. And on the flip side of this thing, we'll be back to get you out of here. So stick with us for this one short break. So, all right, that'll just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion Podcast. We want to thank you sincerely for joining us again uh, and encourage you to, if you do like what you're hearing here, by all means, tell your farmer buddies about us. We, uh, we know that hundreds of you are tuning in each time we release one of these bad boys, so we want you to uh, tell your friends about us, tell your neighbors about us, tell your 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 family, your farm family and friends all about the Cotton Companion podcast. They can find us in three easy ways. You can find us in three easy ways. The first is to simply go to cottongrower.com, search for the Cotton Companion in the search bar, and uh, it will take you to a page that has all 24 now of our episodes somewhere on that landing page. The second, another good way to find us, if you have a smartphone and iPhone, uh, subscribe to our channel on iTunes. Uh, if you're familiar with iTunes on your on your smartphone, you simply open up the iTunes app, search in the search bar for the Cotton Companion podcast, and you will uh, you should see our nice logo that our art designer Wally drew up for us so many months ago. Uh, click on that thing, subscribe, and uh, if you would leave us a rating, let us know what you think of our pod. Hopefully, it's a, a five star rating, but if not, let us know what we can do better. Now, the third and what I believe to be the best way for you to receive each installment of the Cotton Companion podcast, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter. Now, Jim here works hard to pack that thing with all of the relevant news of the day, and uh, it hits your mailbox like a clock, um, like clockwork is what I mean to say there. Man, I'm, I mangle cliches sometimes. <laughs> We've been in the field too long. Yeah, we have. Yeah. <laughs> that thing like clockwork, will hit your email inbox every Tuesday morning, and occasionally as we get later in the year, it'll hit your email inbox on Thursday mornings as well. Again, all of the relevant news items of the day concerning U.S. cotton and cotton around the globe uh, can be found in that. Now, you can sign up for the e-newsletter by simply going to our website, www.cottongrower.com. Scroll to the bottom of the page there, and you will find a little link that says subscribe. Click on it, and it will walk you through being able to subscribe to our e-newsletter. Lastly, please make sure you're following us on social media. We are out there and active. On Twitter, we are at Cotton Grower Mag. And on Facebook, you can find us by simply searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. We do hope you are enjoying our latest issue, which by the time you hear this will be the November issue, which is hitting mailboxes now. We've got a great summary of all of the various seed varieties that will be available to you in 2017. Uh, so you want to be informed, please you know, check into that one, read it from front to back. Uh, this podcast is produced by the marvelous Mr. Marcus Antonelli. He works at the Mothership Maestro Media Worldwide in beautiful Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I will be back with you in two weeks on the next episode of The Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own cotton companion, Jim Stebman, we wish you and your operation all the best. <laughs>